Craft Beer Radio, episode 16, October 6, 2005. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Bear. This week, we start a two-part show on the Roasty Dark Porter, American Porter. Yeah, all the beers we're tasting are American Porter. It was only intended to be a Porter show, and I was doing all the fact sheets. American Porter, American Porter, American Porter, which is pretty much synonymous with the Robust Porter. Okay. BJCP nice. guideline is calls it a Robust Porter. Well, so that's what we're doing this week and next week. Right before Greg goes on his vacation to <laughs> Japan. Japan. Last week we talked about that big traffic spike we had for seven days exactly. We must have been a site of the week on some web page or something. But well, we didn't was, get a link from that. But there was no refers. No so. so something. No one really told us where they came from. Any new listeners? I mean, we got some new listeners who wrote in, but none of them said, "Oh yeah, so you were listed here." So no one told us that. Well, so maybe, anyone, maybe just a, a spike of interest for some reason. Who knows? For seven days exactly, though. Very strange. World works in strange ways, Jeff. There are several ways to leave us feedback. You can post a comment on our website, craftbeerradio.com. You can vote for us on Podcast Alley and leave us a comment. You can send us an email or audio comment to beer at craftbeerradio.com. If you don't want to set up your own audio comment, you can just call our new comment line at 206-202-BEER. We had a couple comments this week. Uh, We didn't want to play them because we didn't actually say whether we'd play any on the air or not. We want to play some on the air. If you have a question for us, please ask it. And you want to ask it like yourself, call it up and ask the question. Absolutely. Yeah, the people didn't say they wanted it on the air, and we didn't warn them, so we didn't think it would be fair to play them. Even though there were good comments, telling people telling us they enjoyed the show, we also just don't want to blow our own horns and right. play these comments. You know, uh, if you want to leave us a comment, just say it's great, that's fine. But we probably won't put something on the air unless it has a, a, a question we can answer. Absolutely. Wanted to thank all of you. We got off to a great start on Podcast Alley this month. Yeah, there's a new month started, so the voting is cleared, and people can vote again. And we got up to 23rd at one point. 23rd out of 8,000 podcasts. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you so much, guys. We're getting so much exposure and so many new listeners because you guys took the time to vote. Thank you very much. Uh, on to email. The Japanese Craft Brew, we got several people telling us that it's called Hitachi no Nest. We're going to the Otaku Otaku Brewery, I believe. I don't know if they do any real craft stuff, but it should be at least fun to check it out. He knows the brewer, I guess, and so. Oh, cool! We get a little tour of yeah. Japanese brewery. See if it's any different. Probably yeah. not. But we we'll able to see. We we'll able to taste beer at any point on the line. So that'd be interesting. oh, that's cool. See where they get their ingredients from. Yeah. See if they get them from Pacific Northwest for the hops, or you know, if any of it's grown domestically, would be interesting too. Well, I'm sure it, it, it's mostly, I bet, uh, rice beer, especially for the lager. So okay, it's probably all domestic. Drew wrote in. He wanted to thank us for our discussion about having good beer at good restaurants. Right. He had a little story to tell us that was interesting, and I'm guilty of this, too. Went to a restaurant, and he was surprised by the beer selection, mm-hmm. and they had Three Floyd's Alpha King on tap. That's pretty hoppy beer. So he orders it, and not thinking, he orders fish as his main course. Ooh, yes. Fish is um, fish is a lot of flavor, but it's, it's, it's turned down, I guess. The volume and the flavor is significantly turned down. So if you have something with as much flavor as the Three Floyd's Alpha King... It would overpower the flavors on, on fish, I bet. Absolutely. The, the three Floyds will fry your taste buds, and the fish won't be as enjoyable as if you paired the proper beer with it. This was his mahi-mahi. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a subtle fish. What else? Let's see. Patrick from Sweden telling us about the Stockholm Beer and Whiskey Festival. A pub in Stockholm had a tasting with about 30 American beers, and he was happy to try some of the beer that we've been talking about on the show. He mentioned in particular the Dog of Shed 60 and 90 Minutes. Mm-hmm. He liked the 90 Minute. He thought it was drier than the 60. He enjoyed that. I, I like the 60 Minute better. I like the, the kind of really bright hoppiness right. that you get with that hop, Mr. Hopsalot or Sir Hopsalot. Sir Hopsalot. Yeah, I like them both. I, it's hard to choose. Depends on my mood. He also wanted to promote his uh, local brewer. <laughs> okay, let me, try to, let me try this one. Nyan, Nyanashams Ang. Bridgery. 
I put this on here just so we could try to pronounce it. Yeah. He started a new pronunciation game. That, that, that one's, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say it's ridiculous. I have no, <laughs> I have no idea how to, how to even approach saying that. We need to take some Swedish language pronunciation classes, yeah, apparently. Yeah, that one's pretty crazy. Smord Punden Porter. Bronk Sar Brown Ale. Bidaro Bitter, perhaps? That, I guess that's close enough. Well, yeah. That's the end of us trying to pronounce Swedish beers <laughs> and Swedish brewery names for a long, long time. Send us any corrections. Uh, Paul writes that what is the reason for to cork 750 milliliter bottles? Is the 12 ounce bottles or bottle caps? So he's thinking it can't be something crucial to the beer. Is it tradition? Is it aesthetics? It pretty much is. Most corked beers are Belgian style ales. And from what I did some research just to make sure, but it is just the aesthetics. It's actually more difficult to cork a beer than cap a beer. You have to be more careful about getting a good sealing cork. Oh, yeah. And there's also a problem with getting the corked flavor in the beer. Well, don't they not use necessarily, like, cork anymore? They use uh, it's a, synthetic cork? I had read that, and I read some more this week, and it is some sort of synthetic cork. And then, like, the very bottom is natural cork, and it's laminated or something like that to it. It's It was an interesting process. All the... Uh, beer and champagne corks come from a place in France, apparently. Found some information here about the corked flavor. Mm-hmm. This is where the cork spoils the beer. It is uh, could be caused by uh, some of the bleach, and there's mold growth on the cork when the cork is sanitized. It's one or the other. It causes this mm. corked flavor. The compound is trichloroanisole. What I found interesting about this is it has an incredibly low threshold of detection, five parts per trillion. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. That's like my odds of winning the Powerball. Well, diacetyl, I thought, had a pretty <laughs> low number of detection. And it's like in the parts per billion. Mm. So this is a whole order of magnitude bigger that you can taste this stuff. Yeah. Ken from Tacoma wrote in, had a question about cellaring. He always thought of cellaring as a wine phenomenon and had some questions about it. He wanted to know which kind of beers are ideal for cellaring. And typically, it's a bottle-conditioned beer... Right. Higher in alcohol. And there's a blurry line where you can start cellaring, but I would say over 8%. Now, can you cellar a non-bottle conditioned beer? I mean, you, the yeast does a lot of the work, right? Right. It, it does what I like to call the maintenance on the beer. Mm-hmm. A filtered beer, that is, so a beer that's not bottle conditioned, it's pretty much dying after it's filtered. It doesn't improve, change, I mean, it changes our age, but typically it's not a good change. It's right. typically a, a negative change to the beer. So typically beers that are filtered, you want to refrigerate and drink them fresh. The beers that are higher in alcohol, that are bottle conditioned, you can put in the cellar and they'll improve with age. They'll change over time and they won't, typically there won't be bad changes. The stronger the beer is, the hoppier the beer is, the longer you can cellar it are two guidelines. How long can you realistically cellar a beer? Depends on the beer. On the label for the Dogfish at 120 minute, it says enjoy today or cellar for a decade. But, I mean, can you can you drink a beer from 100 years ago? Thomas Hardy's Old Ale, they've been cellaring those. You can get a Thomas Hardy's that's like 20 years old, 30, you know, 25, 30 years old, I think. I suppose if you get the right beer in the right condition, you could sell it for 100 years. They have, if the carbonation would at that point just sort of sublimate out. If you got a good seal, good cork, good cap, it wouldn't go anywhere. Because no molecules would be able to get through it right. if you have a good enough seal. No, at, at some point, I mean, over a thousand years, eventually it's going to lose its fit. I'll so. have to leave a beer to my grandkid and have him taste it and see what it tastes like. <laughs> Greg from Muncie writes that uh, he's a longtime fan of craft beer. He loves the show. And he wants to thank us for introducing him to the Good Beer Show, another podcast, and the Herat in Muncie, Indiana, which is where they broadcast Good Beer for a show. I thought this was funny because a guy that lives in Muncie learned about a good beer bar in Muncie from a internet radio show that's done in Pittsburgh, which is, what, five hours away? <laughs> it shows the world's a small world. Jeff from Australia writes in, he has one minor issue so far in our Hefeweizen show. Just one? Just, <laughs> hey, we're doing good if he only has one. <laughs> I know, I have more issues with it than that. He mentioned in our Hefeweizen show that we said Franzi Connor was the pinnacle of the Hefeweizen style. And he disagrees. He thinks that the he thinks the Y-Hen Stefaner defines the style. It has a special place in his heart. It's the beer that first turned him on to craft brewing. Hmm. He also says that the 
Schneider Weiss is probably better than Franzi Connor as well. It's possible. I haven't tried either of those two. Those are the. It's just for me the the beer that makes me think the most about Hefeweizens from other countries is Franzi Connor. That's mm. the one that comes up in my mind first. I like Franzi too, but we're open to try Hefeweizens. Absolutely, it's, it's a style that we really like. Uh, next email. <laughs> this is funny. Gary posted a comment on our website. He left us some information at the end. He said, "This is the worst pronunciation gate yet." Pilsner is pronounced Pilsner, not Porter. <laughs> we, uh, if you don't know what, that, what that's referring to in our extras uh, last week, we were tasting the Morimoto Imperial Pilsner, and both Jeff and I at one point called it Porter. Several times I called it Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, we were confused. Tom wrote in from Massachusetts and Connecticut, apparently. That's what his <laughs> signature said. I think he lives in one and goes to school in the other. Oh, okay. You were discussing whether an Alpio was an ale or a lager. He has a poster, and I've also seen these t-shirts with the periodic table of beer styles. Right. And it's classified as a mix. They put it in the lanthanide-actinide series, which is the ones down at the bottom that don't fit into right. the properties, which is hilarious. <laughs> I never paid that much attention to the periodic table of beers. He has seen alt beers with ale yeast. The one we were talking about had the lager yeast. That's right. what brought up this whole conversation. Was that, um... Was it heavyweight? It was the heavyweight yeah. alt, yeah, which I always thought alts were ales, and it said it used bottom fermenting yeast, which confused me. It could be like a steam beer or a California common beer, where it uses yeast and it's kind of a hybrid style. The The California common beer is the one where it uses a lager yeast, but it's fermented at ale temperatures. That's what Anchor Steam is. Right, right. He also wrote about when we were talking about beer conglomerates, we said that InBev produces Heineken, and that's not right. They produce a whole bunch of different beers, but not Heineken. And also that SAB Miller owns Pabst, so all the Milwaukee macro is under one roof. Yay. Yeah. Well, we were wrong. We just want to correct it. <laughs> no, not, I mean, obviously we need to be corrected, but yay for SAB Miller owning all the macros. In Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> On the physics of nitrogen bubbles in Guinness. Oh, yeah, I've read about this. It's not a matter of convection, but rather drag with the sides of the glass and the, nit- and the little bubbles... Makes pressure, and that's how things move around. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, that is the same concept of why your shower curtain sucks into you when you take a shower. You have a really light shower right, curtain. Right. It's not the hot air rising; it's not convection. It's drag with the droplets of water falling. Okay, which surprised me. I'm like, what? No, it's it's air moving up from because it's a hot shower. But if you take a cold shower, the same thing happens, and it's because of the drag of the water droplets. Interesting, crazy, but interesting. Physics is so weird. Thanks for the emails, everybody. If uh, anyone wants to send us an email, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Absolutely. On to news. This is, um, I don't know what to make of this. The monks from the West Valetrin or West Valetrin, they don't want their beer sold in the United States at all. They say I, they took out an ad in one of America's largest newspapers. It doesn't mention what newspaper USA it is. USA Today. USA Today, okay. The monk said he would advise the readers not to ask for or buy West Flatron, not to even ask for it, not support the Trappist cause by buying West Flatron in the United States. Now, the reason he's saying this is because they don't export. So everything you can buy here in the United States is black market. And he doesn't want you supporting black market. There was another quote where he's told the interviewer that if we had a label, it would say, do not import to the United States. Now, it sounds a little bit like he's anti-U.S., but I think it's to take in the context of it's not to be shipped to the United States by a third party because that's not their desires. When you buy a case of beer at the Abbey, on your receipt they stamp, not for resale. So you're supposed to buy it and drink it yourself. You're not supposed to ship it to the United States or anywhere else, apparently. The only place you can get the beer is at the Abbey and at the cafe across the street. A little tidbit in the article I thought was really interesting. On the select days where beer is on sale at the gate of the Abbey, cars start lining up at 5.15 a.m., and the gates open to 10. Hmm. So people get in line for the West Fletcher. And and as well they should. Last week was the Great American Beer Festival. Right. Some great times I'm sure were had. Maybe we'll get to go next year. That'd be nice. Some of the main category winners, the big ones, Large Brewery of the Year, Anheuser-Busch. Hooray. Mid-Size Brewing Company of the Year, Sierra Nevada Brewing. Okay. Small Brewing Company of the Year, 
the Sandlot Brewery at Coors Field. Interesting. Now, this is an interesting one because they're owned by Coors, uh-huh. but they, the brewmaster pretty much gets free reign. They're not really told you have to use... They don't say this. you have to make... I'm sure they, they make like a Coors Light. They might even have Coors Light on tap. I don't know. I've never been to Coors Field. And you, obviously, you can get Coors Light outside the Sandlot. Yeah. But I've heard they make some pretty good beers. And obviously, they've won some awards this year, and they're the best small brewing company of the year. Large brew pub of the year was Iron Hill Restaurant and Brewery Number 3, Wilmington, Delaware. Small brew pub of the year was Pelican Pub and Brewery in Pacific City, Oregon. Some of the individual category ones that I found were interesting was for best English style pale ale. Now, Greg, you're not going to get, you're not going to believe this one. Michelob pale ale won gold medal. Michelob. Well, like we said, Michelob stands for quality. <laughs> Maybe it does. We <laughs> said it sarcastically last week. It's not like Anheuser Busch's has their hands in the pockets of the beer judges. These yeah. are real beer judges, so this might be a real beer. I'm going to get a Michelob Pale Ale when I see it and give that thing a try. hope it's not in a green bottle. Michelob Mertzen won Best Oktoberfest Mertzen. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of, we're kind of beside ourselves here. We just can't believe that the American beer that's winning gold medals in the categories that they don't I mean, always win gold medals. The only thing that, we, that I can think of is that maybe they're feeling some of the pressure from the craft beer industry, so they have to make better beer. At first, they were probably trying to convert them into drinking their beer, and right. well, they now they realize they got to make craft beer. It's it's a win win for the craft beer enthusiast. I don't think that you're going to find guys that are going to say, "Oh, I drink is Michelob Pale Ale. I don't try anything else." Right. You know, they're going to drink it and drink other stuff. They're just enriching the atmosphere of the craft beer. So, in a sense, it makes world. sense that these big breweries are going to try to get a little piece of of the action, at least. Anheuser Busch came in second in the fruit beer category with their ninth. Ninth Street Tucson Orange. This is one of the ones we talked about before when they were test marketing some fruit beers. Yeah. I think it's the cactus and then some weird orange flavor. Like, uh, not normal orange, but was it, uh, blood orange. Blood, or orange, blood yeah. orange and cactus. Alaskan Smoked Porter won Best Smoked Beer. That's, yeah, of course. <laughs> they don't even have to enter practically. Yeah. They just win over here, it seems. Siberian Night from Thirsty Dog won Best Imperial Stout. This hmm. is interesting because Thirsty Dog. Dog, we talked about last week in the news, they closed their brew pub because of that unfair smoking law, the uneven smoking law in that city. They're still brewing beer. They're contract brewed by Frederick Brewing Company, and they want a beer and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> That's kind of funny. They beat out the Great Divide Yeti, which we both had in the extras, and mm-hmm. we loved. Yeah, so we got to try some beer at night if we can get our hands on it. Rogue Shakespeare Stout won Best American Style Stout. Allagash White won Best Belgian-Style White Beer. Which we had on the... Uh, we had on the Witch Show. On the Witch Show. Um, it was my favorite. I don't think it was your favorite. I think yours was the Gang. I like the Gang better, right? But again, it's, it's not a style that I like, yeah. so I might not like what the textbook says I'm supposed to like about the beer. And for tonight's category, the Robust Porter, Black Sand Porter from Kona Brewing Company in Hawaii won. Wow. Utah has a homebrew ban. The state of Utah has not legalized homebrewing, and one city is drafting a ban to make it clear that homebrewing is illegal. Oh, that sticks in my craw. It, it's not officially legalized, but no one has really ever prosecuted a homebrewer in Utah. But this city is not planning on prosecuting a homebrewer, but they want to have legislation in place in case something bad happens. They have something to stand on. The mayor's quote is, I don't care what people do in their own homes as long as it doesn't spill out into the public. But if there are problems related to homebrewing, such as people going blind or small riots breaking out, we would have to think in extremes to cover all the bases. Now, people going blind, that seems to be more a problem with distilling alcohol, like making your own whiskey yeah. moonshine, right? I mean, Well, the whole problem with these anti-craft beer, homebrewing anti-beer people are just not being educated. Yeah. One of the biggest things that they had to do in North Carolina at the beginning of the whole pop the cat movement was educate the legislators what craft beer is. They'd have these tastings, they'd have these guys taste beer with chocolate and beer with good food and and realize that it's not the beer that you see on TV. Right, it's not a bunch of alcohol and, and chicks in bikinis. Benjamin Franklin's favorite brew, which he calls Poor Richard's Ale, he says it's a similar beer to the modern version of the old ale. This is relating to what we talked about a couple shows ago, or maybe last show, where Wincoop Brewery was having that contest to find the commemorative beer for uh-huh. Ben Franklin's 300th birthday. This is the beer that they chose. Ah. Tony Simmons is a small brewer who just opened Brick Oven Brewing 
Uh, he talks about Poor Richard's Ale here. It's a reddish copper hue edged with walnut highlights. Okay. <laughs> the depth of the color being captivated by the spiced molasses base. Bunch of marketing speak for it's, it's a red beer. Well, the link on the webpage has the recipe. Oh. So if you want to brew this version of Poor Richard's Ale, you can get the recipe right off the Craft Beer Radio webpage. Interesting. Aromas are of moderate maltiness drenched in a symphony of corn and nuts. Is corn actually used in this? I didn't look at the recipe. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Jeff. I know. Okay, uh, that was news for this week. Moving on to uh, everyone's favorite segment. <laughs> what beer am I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we're going to be done with these uh, sound effects for that. <laughs> well, at first I want to say we had one beer person write in guessing what beer it was this week. Our friend Corey, who writes in and plays the game every week. He wrote in how to guess. He wasn't right. No. Since we didn't have a beer. But he would... It was a good guess. It was a very it good It was close. <laughs> this week's clue. I am served in 750 milliliter bottles and on draft. I am 4% alcohol by volume. So you're a session beer. I have won the gold medal at the World Beer Cup in the World Beer Tasting Championships. Well, good. My raspberries are grown in Oregon. Your raspberries, eh? There we go. So you are made with raspberries. That's interesting. Left it vague, but why don't you get the right style? It's not that hard of a guess. Okay, moving on to the beer of the night. Like we mentioned before, the American Porter. This is a dark, roasty beer made with malted, roasted barley. This is a beer that has a very long history, a kind of interesting history. The American Porter is obviously an offshoot of the traditional English Porter. The English porter, at the very beginning, was not brewed to be a porter. What they do with it is that they would mix three different beers together to come up with this beer. Hmm. They would, and it was a way to help move this beer that had gone stale. Mix that in with the other stuff. So this was a beer that was cheaper because it had a stale, trying to push off subpar beer. Uh-huh. Legend has it that the name is because it was very popular with the porters. Who had worked down at the docks see. in the you know the shipping areas? After the style caught on, they started brewing a porter as a single beer. But initially, it was a blend of beers, and from what I read, it was designed to move the stout beer. <laughs> the difference between porters and stouts—it's a very gray line. It, right. you ha- you'll find porters that have these traits, stouts that don't. But typically, stouts use unmalted roasted barley in it which means that the malt hasn't gone through the malting process. They didn't start... The malting process is where it starts to germinate. Right. They dry it out, and the beer has more enzymes in it to help convert the starch. So this is a beer that we should drink in pint glasses, the typical glassware. Because it's roasty, drinking it with barbecue food, something that has a little bit of caramelization on it. Uh, like Smoked meat, grilled meat would be good. Let's see, cheese, brie, gouda. Havarti and Swiss. So lighter cheeses may be a slight bit on the nutty side. Gouda is a particularly strong smoked cheese. And let's see, serving temperature 45 to 50, which we find a lot of the beers end up in 7 to 10 degrees Celsius. Beer is typically not intended for cellaring unless it's above the standard alcohol by volume. Typically, we'd want to drink it fresh because it's not going to improve much with age. What does the BJCP say about the robust porter? For aroma, it should have a roasty aroma, often a lightly burnt black malt character. A little toffee-like, caramelly, chocolate, coffee, rich or sweet. Appearance is medium brown to very dark brown, often ruby or garnet highlights, can approach black in color. Hmm. Clarity is hard to tell because it's such a dark beer. Right. Flavor is moderately strong malt flavor, lightly burnt black malt character, which is how they describe the aroma. Right. Well, aroma and, and flavor are so intertwined. Overall, flavor may finish from dry to medium sweet, depending on the grist composition, hop bittering level, and attenuation. Mostly, but what they're saying is essentially there should be a malty beer with the roasty component to it. Well, right next line is may have a sharp character from the dark roasted grains, which I find a lot of porters are a little more sharp than stouts are. Not all, but in general, I would make that generalization. Would that be, I mean, how would you describe that? A little more astringent and sharp at the end of the taste. It doesn't have a nice, wet, sweet mouthfeel or flavor at the end. For the mouthfeel, medium to full body, might have a slight alcohol warmth. Our first beer 
is... Which is our first beer? We have a whole bunch here. I guess Stovepipe. Stovepipe Porter from Otter Creek Brewing in Millbury, Vermont. This beer is 5.4% alcohol by volume with a gravity of 1.054. 30 IBUs. Brewery, it was, like we said, Otter Creek, which is at ottercreekbrewing.com. Brewery started in 1991, an annual production of 30,000 barrels. And Jeff has poured me the first one, and it's a dark brown, not quite black, with um, nice moderate to heavy head on there. Poured with a pretty energetic head when I came yeah. out of the bottle. It started foaming up, or not foaming up out of the bottle, but big head on the pour. And definitely getting a lot of you know that roasty flavor. Something we're gonna be saying a lot tonight. Yes, uh, roasty and not flavor, but smell roasty aroma. Uh, a little bit of hoppiness. Almost smells like noble hops, but I'm sure it's not. Well, I guess then it could be, but usually noble hops are associated with lagers. These typically have an English style hop, or American porters will use some American hops, but either a East Kent Goldings, a Pearl, a Willamette. Typically not a Chinook or a Cascade or a Cascade or a Centennial mm. or something like that. Typically something a little more earthy, more of the earthy type hops. Get a little bit of chocolate out of the smell. Like a, a like a, a dry smelling baker's chocolate or something. Yeah, yeah. Um cocoa. Yeah, cocoa exactly. Okay, this one has that, that sharp yes. mouth, sharp taste to it that I told you porters seem to have or stouts have less of that character. Yeah, I think it, it, part of it is from the hops themselves are, are contributing to that. It's almost, it's almost like that same kind of um, metallic twang you get from noble hops in, in lagers. It, the, the taste definitely from the beer changes it a bit so it doesn't taste nearly as metallic, but it's the same kind of effect. Yeah, I would agree. It's similar. This is mostly from the dark grains, though. You get that flavor. So it's from a completely different component. Some of the components in the taste are similar. I wouldn't want to compare it to right. that noble twang because usually that has bad connotations to me. And I enjoy this. It's just a, you get this dry, roasty, it doesn't feel gritty in your mouth, but maybe the flavor is reminiscent of a, a gritty on your tongue or something. Hmm. Well, I mean, the, the beer is, it, the mouth feels pretty light for, uh, when compared to the, the porter we drank in the pre-show, and yeah, compared so to other this one is I've definitely had. thinner than the porter from the pre-show. You get that sharpness right away. It fades away into a bit of hoppiness, roastiness around around the sides of, of the tongue, really near the front of your tongue, mostly too. That sharpness just stays on on the back of your tongue. It just sort of stays there. Yeah, definitely, it sits it. on the back of your tongue, and I'm getting this flavor just kind of coating my whole tongue in the aftertaste. It tastes like when you eat. Some grains during brewing, the roasted grains. Mm -hmm. It tastes a little bit like uh, powdery, floury, just sitting on your tongue. That taste certainly stays with you yeah. for a long time after you take a sip of this beer. Which, I don't know if that's truly in, that enjoyable. It's a little bitter and tart, and, it's, and yeah, the aftertaste isn't... It makes you want to take another sip so you can get the good part of this beer right. again and not dwell on that aftertaste too much. So it's an interesting way to design a beer. It tastes more bitter than the 30 IBUs that it has. Yeah, you'll get that a lot with these porters because of that bitterness you get from the roasted grains. Right. To me, I find that bitterness is easier for my tongue to identify than hop bitterness, actually. Hmm. When I first started tasting beers and getting into craft beer, I could identify this as a bitter-tasting beer. And I drink an ESB, I'm like... Why is this called an extra special bitter? <laughs> because my, the way my tongue was right. designed, I couldn't detect top bitterness as much as I could detect the, the, the kind of astringency and bitterness you get from this malt, from the roasted malt. Like we said, it's thinner than I typically expect a porter to be, or this feels thinner. A lot of the beers we've been tasting in recent shows, now granted we're fresh off Trappist shows and pumpkin spice right, ales, right. I'm trying to breathe air over my tongue after I take a sip of this, and it's just like, there's nothing there. Yeah. It, you're not getting to re-enjoy that aspect of this beer. It's, just, that's just, it's kind of flat in that part. Let's see if we can take a look at this bottle here. Like we said, brewed in Vermont. Uh, doo -doo -doo. They also, Otter Creek also brews a Wallivers. So. Wallivers won a, a bronze at the Great American Beer Festival for their lager. Never had their lager. 
Yeah, it's, it's an organic beer, obviously, because it's brewed under the Wolliver's name, and it's an organic lager. I mean, th- this has, to me, the same kind of mouthfeel as the other Wolliver's beers, which is lighter, more watery. It, it doesn't have a really thick one like the, the old Lager Humber we had in the pre-show. I'm not going to knock it, though. I think it has a good enough mouthfeel. It's just a lighter-style porter. The thing I don't like it about it the most is that bitter hanging-around aftertaste. Yeah. It's almost a nuisance type thing. Yeah, because you, you want to taste sort of the, the, the roastiness. You want to taste that chocolatiness, and you don't really want to have to dwell on that astringency. Now, on the bright side, if I'm out and I order this beer... It, it's a good drinking beer. Only when you're critiquing it, like we are right now, is where you find the bad right. things. If we were just drinking this beer, like, oh, that's a pretty good porter. So I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression that you should avoid the stovepipe. You just might want to check out some of these other ones first. True. I don't know if I would take this one if there were other porters available, though. Depends on which ones. Yeah, that's true. Which beer do you want to do next? Uh, well, let's go. We can go by the alcohol, and we can start... Next with the uh, Mocha Porter. No, this is a pretty popular beer. This is from Rogue Brewing. This is a 5.3% alcohol beer with uh, 13 Play-Doh in the gravity, 54 IBUs bitterness. And Rogue does a lot of uh, interesting and good beers. We tried their Morimoto Imperial Pilsner last week. We really did enjoy that. What else has Rogue done? We had... uh, Rogue Shakespeare Stout. Mm-hmm. Rogue Shakespeare Stout won gold for American Style Stout this week at the Great American Beer Festival. This this particular beer won the title of Supreme Champion at the 2005 International Beer Competition for its Moker Porter. We talked about that which is this beer. in one of our earlier shows. That was the one in Great Britain. And Rogue won for this in the Rogue Shakespeare. But this one won the Supreme Champion. This was the best beer at the show. Hmm. So it was pretty prestigious Rogue from Newport, Oregon, with annual production of 32,000 barrels. Started in 1988, and their website is rogue.com. Ah, he's getting definitely coffee, chocolate, roastiness from the aroma here. Yeah, the, the smell of just flat-out roasted barley is a lot not as prominent in this beer as it was in the last one. Yeah. This one has a lot more of the chocolatey smell to it. And it's really dark. Uh, it, it's darker than... The Otter Creek. The Otter Creek was sort of a, a dark brown. This is very close to black. Has a little bit thicker mouthfeel. I still wouldn't call it completely, th- you know, I wouldn't say thick mouthfeel. Right. I would say medium, medium thick. The, the, this is the sort of mouthfeel that, that I expect out of porters that I look for. Um, it, it's a little bit more, I guess, well, it's called a robust porter. It's a little bit more robust. Certainly. The flavor is nice. It doesn't smack you with coffee like you might think from the name. Or chocolate, really. I mean, it, it, there's roastiness in there, but there's, a good, there's a, a good deal of hoppiness to kind of slow down some of the maltiness. And get this just a nice kind of bright flavor wafting over your tongue without really hitting any particular point, I think. Maybe a little bit on the sides, but... It's just it's just sort of going over your tongue and, and handling itself very nicely. It's brewed with pearl and centennial hops. Make me a liar. I said that porters a lot of times won't have the centennial or the cascade. No, this one is. Ha ha. But so, it is from Rogue. Yeah, it is from Rogue, and Rogue likes to challenge things. As, as I'm tasting this a little bit more, I'm getting a little bit more of that chocolate that chocolateness. Now, is this actually brewed with coffee, or is it just... I don't believe so. I believe it has the coffee character, so they gave it that name, yeah. I think. I'm pretty sure there's no coffee in it. It's not like the Rogue Chocolate Stout, which actually uses chocolate. Because some of the aftertaste I'm getting from this is dark chocolate coffee taste. That's interesting that they managed to get that without using any coffee at all. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. When I looked, I remember, I didn't look preparing for this show, but I looked in the past, and from what I remember, it doesn't have any coffee in it. Well, it says in the malt they use Northwest Harrington and Clogs and Beeston Chocolate, Black Munich, and Karisten Malts. A lot of ones that I'm not familiar yeah. with. Yeah. Maybe they tweaked the mix until they, oh, look, we're getting a little more coffee. Let's try to get that out some more. And it came up with this blend of malts. I tell you, for some reason, it's harder for me this week to pick out flavors. You said your allergies were acting up a little well, bit. Well, there's that. 
but I also think you know we've been t- we've been trying all these beers with complex flavors, with the Trappist beers, and then with pumpkin ales, which just a lot of spice, a lot of stuff going on. This one is a little bit harder to pick out some of the flavors. The flavors in this one are really blended and tied yeah. together. So the last one had really roasty, sour, you know, bitterish aftertaste. And this one. Since it's so blended, it's kind of like that dogfish head we had last week. All the spices, it was really spicy, but they were all melded together so much you couldn't mm-hmm. pick out what the heck was in there. And this has a similar thing on the malt bill. It's all melded together. It's really hard to pick any particular thing out other than it's a... Roasty. And- roasty. <laughs> the aftertaste on it is a lot cleaner. It doesn't have that hanging around astringent bitterness right. that that the last beer had. And there's some bitterness there, but it's it's more... Inviting type of bitterness. It doesn't yeah, certainly doesn't hurt you to keep it on your tongue. I'm still not able to get much aroma, or, you know, after aroma. I'm trying to breathe it through, breathe air through my mouth after sipping this. I, I think it's I, best not to breathe air and just sort of let it sit. Close your mouth. Yeah, you get you get some roasty that way. Maybe these beers are not ones to breathe the air in, like the Trappists. Right. Well, this is only a five point three percent alcohol. It's not a it's not a lot of alcohol. So like you're not going to have any the alcohol warming right. and. and Enhancing that flavor and the volatiles coming off your tongue. It's a nice beer. I've had this before. When I saw one that's such prestigious grand champion, I was like, really? I mean, it's enjoyable. It's, maybe it's one of those things where there's so few things really wrong with it mm-hmm. that it's so good. But to me, it's really not that outstanding. I wonder what it would taste like on cask, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be delicious. Yeah, and maybe that's why it won. Yeah. What beer isn't delicious on cask, though? Eh, there's not many. Uh, I never had an, uh, a Pilsner or a lager on cask. Good point. <laughs> what beer that are served on cask aren't delicious on cask? I wonder if we're going to be able to do a cask show at some point. It'd be tough, because we'd be fine. There's only one place in town that has more than one hand pump. We'd have to drive from bar to bar. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not close together. Yeah. Moving on to our next porter, which is the Cole Porter from the Atlantic Brewing Company. Cole Porter, of course, a play on American songwriter Cole Porter. This is Cole, uh, C-O-A-L, not Cole, C-O-L-E. 6.5% alcohol. The brewery, Atlantic Brewing Company, located in Bar Harbor, Maine. I think we've done Atlantic before. I think we did. We had that blueberry ale. Uh, just before one of the shows, before we were recording the pre-shows. And then someone wrote in and told us to try the Bar Harbor Real Ale. And I had that, and that was really good. But I'm not sure if we tasted any Atlantic Hmm. beers on the show or not. I seem to remember us doing one. I remember Bar Harbor, Maine. But um, it could be for something else. Brewery started in 1991, and they're at com. This is another dark porter. It's it's a little bit more brown than, than the darker black of the Rogue. It's got a nice uh, two-finger head on it. Mine has a massive head. Jeff's has about an eight-finger head on it. <laughs> uh, I'm getting some of that hoppy stranded seed that's the first thing and not roastiness. And then, okay, now smelling the roastiness, the dark roasty stuff after that hoppy flavor. Slash aroma. The aroma on this on on these beers seemed to change almost with every sniff. First sniff was hops. Second sniff, which came right after, because I'm like, oh, I'm smelling hops. Let's see if I can get more of that. I smelled roast, uh-huh. which was very interesting. That it just changed that fast. Cause I'm like, it's normally chameleon. normally I don't smell hops in these porters. And the first sniff on this one was hoppy. I'm like, what kind of hops, you know? And I took a second whiff. It was a mouthful of malt. So of <laughs> roasted malt. And now this sip was pure chocolate, or sip. <laughs> we haven't tasted it yet. This aroma, third aroma I had was pure chocolate. I mean, it tastes... Yeah, I'm getting that chocolate, too. And now it's back to roast. <laughs> I must have, like, this little uh, spinner in my nose. It's got some guy down there at the bottom just switching the aromas on you. Like, yeah, we'll see what he gets this time. <laughs> Dirty socks. Yeah, see? <laughs> A more roasty flavor than the other ones. Slightly lighter mouthfeel than the Rogue. Probably more than the Stovepipe. Considerably more, I think. Okay. Uh, it immediately hits you with a roastiness that the other ones didn't. Then it kind of fades off into a bit of hoppiness. A little bit of bitterness. Goes away pretty clean, leaving a slight bitterness on your tongue. 
Listen to the sounds of Jeff Thick. <laughs> See that you can't hear the uh, my eyes twitching back and forth and the steam coming, the smoke coming out my ears. I'm just trying to figure out something to contributing to say to this beer because I can say it tastes roasty, mm-hmm. but we know that the the carbonation is a bit more forceful than the other two. Certainly is, yeah. Well, I can tell from pouring. Yeah, it has a more chocolatey roastiness than. Than the stovepipe did, wouldn't you say? Yeah, is this one bottle condition? It doesn't look like it from this end. I think it might be. There is like a little speck of yeast up in the top rim there of the bottom, or the bottom rim of the bottle. But it, so I suppose it is. I've never seen a bottle conditioned beer with so little yeast, <laughs> except for maybe that one dogfish that said it was bottle conditioned and the bottle was clean hey, as a. This rogue is definitely bottle conditioned. The Otter Creek is not. Okay, my tongue is playing tricks on me now. I'm not going to tell you what I just tasted there. <laughs> tasted cheese. <laughs> I don't know how. Like a blue cheese. I took a sip and I tasted blue cheese. There, I think that astringency is contributing to that. It, it, it's, it's playing around. This beer is, is, is a real chameleon. It's, it's playing around with multiple tastes, throwing them out at you. The astringency from the hops and the roastiness is combining to get what I can... I can taste where that blue cheese thing came from. I didn't really taste it. Right on, but as soon as okay. you said it, I could feel where that flavor is coming from. Yeah, that was weird. That was really weird. I'm like, blue cheese? Do you have any blue cheese? This might actually match I well with cheese. I do have blue cheese. We might, I know we did this before. I'm curious to see what this tastes like with a little bit of blue cheese. Let, let's see. Let's break out. We're not going to go crazy and just try it with all the beers, but this one is a special case because it's such a crazy flip-around beer. Jeff has the... Little container of blue cheese. Let's give it a shot. Is this gorgonzola or blue? Blue. All right. All right. So that's the blue cheese. It goes really well. Yeah, it does. It adds a bit of extra astringency, a little bit of extra bitterness, but the flavors combine very well together. They might with everyone. It's it's really not fair just to do it with one yeah. or not. But because my tongue said, "Hey, there's blue cheese here." We thought we'd give it a try. Now we're putting the cheese away. Yeah, we're not going to go crazy with this. But that was that's an interesting little flavor experiment. It, it goes to show you that try beer with cheese. Again, you know, we say it, say it a couple times, but beer and cheese can go very well together. I'm still tasting it, too. That's weird. <laughs> Ingredients. Blue cheese. <laughs> <laughs> this is our blue cheese beer. <laughs> I've had oyster beers, but uh, haven't had a blue cheese beer and until tonight. Exactly. This is nice. It, it's roasty like the stovepipe. Mm-hmm. Fuller body. The aftertaste is more pleasant. A little bit of... Um, no, I'm not really getting... I thought I was tasting a little bit cherry there for a second, but then I reconsidered. Took a little bit bigger sips for the last two sips there. Got a lot of cocoa. Uh, a lot of the roast. And almost none of the... The, the sharpness, the astringency that we took, we were getting in the aftertaste. So mm-hmm. it, it muted that. But it tasted... It was actually taking a little bit bigger than a normal sip. Gave I liked you. it better. I liked it better because hmm. it gave me more of the cocoa. A good lesson to be learned. Sometimes taking a little bit more of a little sip of beers like this. Well, someone wrote in last yeah. week. And that's one of the reasons I tried it. Because, let's see. And it changed it slightly. Interesting. Our last beer of the night is General Washington's Tavern Porter, an American porter brewed by Yards Brewing Company. This is one of their Ales of the Revolution series. So they brewed some beers with recipes or ingredients. I didn't, it wasn't able to do research on it, but it's a throwback to revolutionary style beers. Hmm. A brewery located in Philadelphia, yardsbrewing.com, with an annual production of 10,000 barrels, but a capacity of 100,000 barrels. And Jeff has poured an amazing head with about a finger of beer. And the rest of the pint glass head. Uh, this beer's a bit energetic. <laughs> it's been bottled up for 220 years. Yeah, that's right. years. <laughs> We're going to try one of those 200-year-old beers. Uh, like we said, 7% alcohol. This is the highest alcohol of the night. Close to an Imperial Porter, if you think about it. I poured mine even more carefully than Greg's and got less beer and more head. Wow. <laughs> You did some active yeast, huh? So we're just going to wait a little bit while these <laughs> cool down. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
distribution area of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, D.C., Connecticut, Rhode Island. Now, we haven't talked about distribution area a lot because it's been harder to get information. I, um, well, we did the two Trappistale shows. Right. I completely forgot to get that information for the Pumpkin Ale show. I tried to get them for these shows. The breweries I emailed, this is worst return ever. None of them got back to me in time for the show. Hmm. And I had yards from a previous show, so that's how that one's in there. What did we do from yards before? Was it... Um... We did the Philadelphia Pale Ale. Right. And we did the Saison. Hmm. We didn't like the Saison too much, but we really liked the, the Phil- Philadelphia Philly Pale Ale. It uses the Zeus and Simcoe hops and had that apricot flavor. Yeah. Yummy. I'm pretty sure you haven't had it. <laughs> okay, we got some... Uh, Ice cream floats going yeah, on here. Yeah, it's looking like milk, like, like a root beer float. Big rocky fl- rocky heads on them. I still got half a bottle of beer left, and the <laughs> glasses are both full of beer and foam. This is it. I think we're going to pause this until we can drink this beer. Okay, we're back. We got all the beer into the glass. <laughs> it's still kind of got a crazy head. That's an interesting aroma there. It's almost sugary. You're getting sugary? I'm getting a whole bunch of... Stringent sourness, tartness. The now I'll tell you what I'm getting. I'm getting some of that um, candy that we couldn't place before from. Uh, I think it was one of the pumpkin ales. Huh. I'm not getting that. I'm getting an aroma that I don't much care for. Hmm. I've had this beer before. And we'll see if I like the taste this time. But we're definitely. I'm not getting a. Hmm. Not getting any roastiness in there. Yeah, I like the flavor better than the aroma, yeah. certainly. It's a, it's a very different flavor from any of the beers we've had tonight. It's more sweet uh, than the other ones. It's It has roasted component, but it's definitely got sort of a sweeter taste. It's like the the middle to middle late part of the taste is where the sweet really hits me. Mm-hmm. By the way, the, the look of it is a very dark brown, but not quite as... I think the Rogue has been the darkest of the night. Certainly. Yeah, this has a really interesting flavor. I had this before. It's been a long time, so I couldn't remember exactly what it tasted like. And I remember being surprised when I was trying a Ales of the Revolution. That's not the right bottle. Oh. <laughs> Greg was checking the bottle conditioning factor on it. No. It was peeking into the wrong bottle. No bottle conditioning in this one. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's different from, from the aroma. Um, not a lot of hoppiness, but sweetness in the malt. The very beginning... Of the taste is very different. It's it's interesting. It is hard to explain. Oh, I want it's it's kind of like a it's a sweet sugarness. It's almost like a kind of candy sugar type flavor or something like that. Mm-hmm. I almost want to say beet sugar, but I'm not sure if that's accurate. That's a reasonable. Okay, I think that's reasonable. Like I said, not a lot of happiness. I guess now a little bit more is coming out. There's definitely an alcohol warming on here, which the other ones didn't have, which makes sense. It's 7% beer, so it's good. That, that would explain what I was just going to say. I'm like, this reminds me of some of the Imperial Porters I've had, and I was surprised. Being an ale of the Revolution, you wouldn't expect to be an Imperial Porter, but the higher alcohol might give it just a little bit of warming that mm-hmm. makes that beginning of the taste there taste a little bit more like a Baltic Porter. Yeah. And you can feel it. You can feel that alcohol warming on your tongue after you let it go. That the the kind of flavor we were talking about before, where you just sort of let it sit and let it rise and breathe some air over it. The mouthfeel on this is a little thinner than you might expect. Just a little slightly. Just it's, slightly, but it's not nearly as thin as the uh, Otter Creek. Mm. Yeah, it's different. I'm really digging this taste, but that aroma, I don't care for it. So, uh, how would you rank these? Oh, you're going to make this one hard. Well, I know what my number four is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to rank all five? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's rank all five. Let's include the old leg number, which we did in the pre-show. Uh, okay. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to say the Cole Porter was my favorite of the night. I favorite? Think it was... Really? I thought you were going to pick either the Yards or the Rogue. I think I think it was um, the one that kind of that, that struck me as the most the most... Indicative of what I want to taste okay. in a porter. A lot of roast, but a right. clean aftertaste. Then I would probably say the Rogue. Okay. I like the uh, mocha flavor. I like the kind of the, the indefinable parts of it. Then it's really a toss-up between the Leg Humper and this one, the Yards. 
and I'm having a hard time deciding what should go in front, but I might just put the leg humper in front of the yards. Hmm. Just because the aroma of the yards really didn't bring anything to the party. And finally, we'll end up with... Uh, I actually really, frankly, didn't like that much the Hotter Creek stovepipe porter. I'm surprised the coal porter ranked up atop, and I'm surprised you put the, the the General Washington's porter second to last. Yeah, well, I, I don't think that... I like them all, and it was a tougher choice because I do like this, but I just felt... Like I said, I mean, I felt the Rogue was better. I felt the coal porter was the best of the night. And the leg humper and the George Washington were very close to each other. I'm going to turn this one on its head. Okay. I really like the different flavors in this Washington Porter. Right. Even though I don't like the aroma, I really like that flavor. I hesitate to put it in front of the milk porter. But I think I just might. And that's probably because I am not trained enough to properly appreciate the goodness of this mocha porter. <laughs> then number three, I'll say leg humper. Okay. Four is cold porter. Interesting. No, these are all very close. Yeah. Just like most of our choices usually are. I didn't dislike the the Otter Creek stovepipe porter as much as you did. Or at least it appears that you did. But I do think it's the least of the beers we had tonight. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's it, I guess. There were some good beers. And the ranking was harder than maybe we made them sound. I hate to put... I always feel bad for the third I mean, it'll show you because beer. if I think number one beer is his number four, then they're, pretty, they're generally pretty close. We, yeah. We probably are, are, are pretty close in terms of taste, what we like. So Biggest thing I'm curious about with tonight is the Rogue Mocha Porter. What am I not understanding about it? Why... Mm-hmm. Why is it supreme champion of the Beverage Institute, Tasting Institute, or whatever that was? And to me, it doesn't taste that outstanding. Well, maybe if one of you has had the Rogue, one of our listeners has had the Rogue Porter, and they know what it is they really enjoy about it, please send us a mail and give us a comment. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay, that is it for this week of Craft Beer Radio. And this week of Porters. We'll be back next week with another batch another of Porters. five Porters. I think that's going to be the star-studded part of the show. There's some pretty good ones that are over there. Yeah. If you want to, tune in for the extras. We're going to be talking about this week's episode of Lost. <laughs> like we always do. And maybe something else. Talk to you later, guys. Thanks. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Yeah, 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 yeah.